So I understand that you guys are, 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 have been going through the Beatitudes this past quarter. And so as I was praying about what to share about tonight, uh, that's what I want to talk about. And so uh, I did want to cover um, a Beatitude of, of Jesus from Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. And uh, do we have the PPT uh, available? Uh, I don't know. Yeah. The, the title of tonight's message is The Initiative to Love. The Initiative to Love. And uh, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. I think I have it, yeah. Uh, and why don't we read it together in one loud voice. We'll pray and jump right into it, okay? Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. It's up on the screen if you need it. If you have your Bibles, you uh, go ahead and open up your Bibles. Uh, we're going to read it together in one voice. Ready? Shijak. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Father, we pray for your anointing here tonight as you've been with us and ministering to us and touching us, God, here in this place. God, uh, clear all their thoughts, uh, clear all other things on our minds, and tonight help us to see what your word has to say to us in this place. We just pray, God, that this would not be just information, but this would be transformation. This would not just be um, thoughts from, that, uh, from my own head, but God, that from your heart, God, that you will be able to speak to us tonight. So we pray for your blessing upon us. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen and amen. As we start off tonight, I want to ask you guys how you deal with conflict. How do you guys deal with somebody that you don't like, somebody you don't agree with, somebody who's a Democrat, somebody who's a Republican, somebody who likes Trump, somebody who likes Pakune? No, what, what's your default mode when, you, when disagreements occur? And this is a message that I've had on my heart for a while. And uh, it's actually a message that I've been preaching to myself more than anybody else. And so even as I preach this message tonight, I'm actually preaching it to myself because whenever I preach a message, I always uh, pray that the thoughts of this message would go down into my heart before it goes out into my people. But I, I have to confess to you tonight that it hasn't gone down here yet. It's all in my mind right now. It's all in my thoughts right now. And it really hasn't sunk down deep into my heart. And so as I preach this message, I'm actually preaching to myself as well as I'm preaching to you guys. And this is something that I struggle with. And this is something that I'm dealing with even now. And um, it's something that, a message that I need to preach to myself more than anybody else I know. Okay? And so uh, with that in mind, years ago I took a test called the Thomas Kilman Conflict Resolution Survey. And I thought I was pretty good at dealing with disagreements and conflict and arguments. I thought I was pretty good at, at, at confronting people. I thought I was pretty good and straightforward. At, but I found that my conflict resolution is withdrawing. It's avoiding. It's, it's, it's this passive-aggressive kind of, of dealing, hoping things will just simply pass over with time. And that's how I deal with conflict. I thought I was pretty open with people, but as I took this survey and I really dug down deep into my heart, I realized that the conflict default mode of my heart is to ignore somebody. And hopefully it'll go away. And if you're Korean-American or if you grew up with Korean background, this is kind of the way we've been taught all my life, all our lives, right? If you come from Asian background, if you don't like somebody, cut them off. They're no longer important to you. Ignore them. Shun them. There, my father was a, uh, a mega church pastor at a very large church in, in, in America, and uh, he was so good with this because when conflicts arose and people didn't say some, some, something to him, break it off. You don't need them. They're out of your life, and you shun them. And then they would come back, oh, Moksani, 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 I'm so sorry. And they would come back, and, and he would have so much power because he had so much power, because he had so much following, because he had so many other people. Whenever something wrong, wrong comes up, uh, he would be the one that, uh, you know, that wielded all this control, you know. And, and, and my brother and I actually learned this most of our lives. This is the default mode of our hearts is that we just ignore people. And hopefully it'll go away. Hopefully it'll go blow over. Hopefully that, you know, you just, you just ignore that person long enough and they'll go out of your, they'll, they'll leave you alone. Okay? 
And so this is something that my brother and I, actually my brother and I, when, we first came, when I first came to Korea, we actually lived together. Because we learned this method of dealing with conflict for so long, we got into an argument with each other. For a whole year, we didn't talk. Because we got into an argument over who would do the dishes. And those dishes stayed in that sink for almost a whole year. Nobody touched it. We were so good at it. We became experts at it. We knew how to not even talk to one another, even in the same house, living in the same building, living in the same place, and not talk to each other for almost a whole year. The first time he actually called me after a year of living together was when he got really, really sick. He almost died. And he called me and asked me to take him to the hospital. And so this is how I realized I deal with conflict. This is the way I deal with, you know, I want to I uh, show you a quick game. Uh, I want you to look at these, this, this oh, go back for a second. I'm going to show you a picture. I'm going to ask you guys to count the red dots. Okay? I'm going to show it for five seconds. And I'm gonna, I want to ask you to count the red dots in, in this picture. Okay? And I'm going to give you about three seconds. Hold it up for about three, four seconds, and I'll tell you when to go to the next slide. Okay? Ready? Red dots, here we go. Okay, next slide. All right. Any guess? Okay. Anybody else? Okay. The question I want to ask you tonight is not how many red dots there were, but I want to ask you how many blue dots there were in that picture. Okay. Actually, the correct answer is 21 red dots. 21 red dots. But this is what happens whenever somebody wrongs you because automatically this is what your heart will do. When somebody hurts you, when somebody attacks you, when somebody uh, has a conflict with you, your heart will stress the differences between that person and you. Okay, and on a macro level, this works not only between individuals and in our relationships, but it works for nations, ethnicities, political views, whatever it might, whatever it, whatever it might be. Okay, and so what happens is that you start to look at the red dots in that person's life. Okay, go to the next slide. Okay, there were 21. Just to yeah, this, and then and if you go, there were 14 blue dots, and you start to focus only on that red dot, uh, on the red dots. That person is, and that become, that person in your life becomes one-dimensional. Okay, and what happens is that you only start to get, you start to draw a caricature in your mind, and what happens is that you only focus on those things that are wrong in that person's life. Okay, and that person becomes one-dimensional to you. Uh, I want you to go to the next slide just to give you an example. Uh, you start to draw a caricature in your mind of who that person is. And who is this person? You guys know it's Einstein, right? And next slide, who's this? It's Psy, right? I mean, you, how, can, how can you tell? It's just a drawing. How can you tell? Go to the next slide. Who's this? Obama. And then one more. Who's this? Kim Jong-un. Okay. These are caricatures. And what happens is that whenever somebody wrongs you, that's exactly what you do in your heart is what these caricatures do is that they overemphasize and exemplify, the, uh, exaggerate the negative things, the bad things about a person. Big ears, big nose, or whatever it might be, hair. And it stresses the differences between that person and you. And what happens in your heart is that you reduce them to what they've done to you. Okay, you reduce them, it become, they become one-dimensional. If they lie to you, they become a liar in your own heart. Okay, if they betray you, they become a betrayer because deep down in every human soul, there's a desperate uh, desire to justify ourselves. Deep down, we're all afraid that, um, that we're okay, that we're valuable, we're worthy. And so in order to justify ourselves, you say to yourself, I would have never done that. You know, that person is, is all but red dots. All, you only see the red dots in their life. You only see the red dots in, in, in everything that they do. 
right? And what happens is that you start to become, feel more superior, more noble, more righteous, more pure when you put that other person down and see them in that one dimension. It's like, you know, when you guys were little and uh, you played in the deep end of the pool and you were trying to survive, so you push everybody else down so you could push yourself up. Remember that? And so, and so you push yourself down to bring yourself up. And that's what we do in our lives all the time. We push other people down because we have to look better. Okay? And so if you don't want to, uh, but if you don't want to become melted down or twisted or mishapped by that whole experience, you have to look at the person and at the commonality. You have to look at the blue dots and the yellow dots and whatever else dots that you're looking at. And you've got to discover the hum- common humanity. We're all weak. We're all weak people. Uh, everybody's weak. We are all, we're all sinful. We all do su- stupid things. Okay? And that's the thing that will give you freedom. And if you, don't re- if you refuse, you'll be tortured in the prison of your own st- soul. Stre- and, and, and just look at other people in, as one dimension. Okay? It'll be really hard for you. Okay? And so I want to challenge just as we start off to identify with that person. Look at the commonalities, not the differences. Because somebody once said bitterness is giving someone free rent in your own head. Okay? You're allowing that person to live in your own brain. And for rent-free, okay? That person has nothing. They're not even thinking about you. But you're allowing that person to stay in your mind and, and bother you, okay? And so this passage is actually taken from the Beatitudes. Um, each progression, uh, when you look at, I don't know if you, uh, anybody's ever said this to you, but when you look at the Beatitudes, each progression demands more of us. Each progression of the whole list of the Beatitudes actually becomes harder, and they build on top of one another. In other words, you cannot start by becoming a peacemaker, Okay? You have to start by being poor in spirit, by mourning, by being meek, by hungering after righteousness, by being merciful, pure. Okay? And so um, you can't just start off. Uh, what, what happens in the Beatitudes is that each one is a prerequisite of the one before it. Okay? It builds on top of one another. You can't just automatically become somebody who's a peacemaker, but you have to start off with the basics of being somebody who's poor in spirit, somebody who hungers after righteousness, somebody who's a peacemaker, somebody, somebody who's merciful, somebody who's pure, and so on and so forth. Okay? And so this is the seventh beatitude, um, and this is the promise to the peacemakers that they will be called sons of God. Right? This is very important because everybody deals with conflict, and life is full of confrontations, and even the best marriages have arguments. You know, Don't ever trust anybody who, who says they never argue with their spouse because everybody argues. It's a healthy thing to argue with your spouse. Okay? We need to deal, to, uh, deal with learning, uh, learn how to deal with people. It's a skill. You know, uh, just like you practice piano or, or uh, study or, or do uh, athletics or whatever, um, social skills are just that. They're skills. Okay? They're things that we need to work on. Right? They're, things that, uh, they're, they're things that we need to practice all the time. And some of us don't have any sense. You, know, you guys know every circle has a bob, the, the, the weird one, the outsider, the kind of off kind of guy. If you don't know a bob in your cir- circles, you're Bob. Okay? <laughs> you have to deal with it. You're the bob in your circle. You know, there is always a bob in that circle. I don't know anybody. That's you. Okay? <laughs> and so <clears throat> two Sundays ago, I got this uh, uh, email from a, a random person. My husband and I were planning on attending your church today. But I saw some posts on my feed of your political views, and I can't in good conscience attend a church whose leadership is that conservative and out of touch with the true gospel. Sorry to miss you. Take care. I mean, actually, this was a girl um, who 
uh, was in my was one of my youth group kids in California from from like 20 years ago. She was coming out to Korea. She said, oh, "Pastor Leo, I want to come out to your church. I want to visit your church." And blah blah blah. And I think that day news came out or something about uh, Hillary's uh, being. Uh, whatever, she was being investigated for, for, I don't even, you know, I just kind of randomly go through my feed, uh, my, my, my news feed and just like, 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 whatever, you know, because they put it out, like, like, I don't, I don't even really read what it says. And somehow, for some, whatever reason, she saw that. And because she thought, she thought I was pro-Trump just because I was, I was anti-Hillary. I wasn't really anti-Hillary, but I wasn't, I was kind of indifferent to everything. But because she saw that, um, she, she made the decision not to come to our church. For whatever reason, you know, but, but whether it be roommates or workmates or friends or whatever it might be, it, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. Okay. And so that's what I want to talk a little bit about tonight because the beatitude says that peacemakers are blessed and we're called, uh, children, uh, peacemakers are called children of God. Okay. And a couple things that we need to know, uh, about this, uh, about this passage, um, about this passage. Number one, um, the word peace is the Greek word, Irene. I think we have that up on the board. It's, uh, it's, not, it's not talking about the absence of conflict. In the Hebrew, it's, it's, as you guys know, it's the word shalom. Okay? Just because North and South Korea are not fighting doesn't mean that they're at peace. Okay? There's still conflict, but they're not at peace. Okay? You might be sitting in the same row at church with somebody that you don't like or somebody that irks you or somebody that you had a disagreement with. And even though you might, you know, you might be able to fake it and say hello and use that fake smile, there is something going on inside your heart. There might be somebody in your family okay, that, that, you, that you can't stand and you haven't talked to in a long, long time. And that person is, is, is somebody that you are not at peace with. Okay? That person is somebody that you are not at peace with. And the passage says, the peacemakers shall be called sons of God or children of God. Um, this is a t- typical Hebrew expression. And in Hebrew, uh, the Hebrew doesn't have a lot of adjectives. Okay? But in order to describe somebody or something, um, rather than the term, you know, that person is really good or righteous or, or blah, 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 you know, they will use the term son of something, son of blah, blah, blah. Okay? And so, example, uh, somebody who's kind, they won't be called kind, but they will be called somebody who's son, a son of kindness. Barnabas was called a son of encouragement rather than just an encouraging person. Right, uh, and so it says here they shall be called children of God, and basically what that means is this: okay, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be doing a godlike work. They will be a doing a godlike work. Okay, and the man who makes peace is engaged in the very work of which God, the God of peace, is actually doing. And to proclaim peace is to proclaim the recreating power of God into the midst of a situation of disturbance and sin. So where there is brokenness, where there is conflict, where there is hardship, you're going in and you're actually doing the work of God by doing a peacemaker, being a peacemaker. It's bringing reconciliation. It's bringing reformation. And peacemakers, uh, peace breakers, uh, they're, they're actually, let me, let, me, let me rephrase that. They're actually peace breakers. Peace fakers and actually peacemakers, especially in the church. Okay, there are actually peace breakers who break peace wherever they go. Um, they make conflict. You know, I always say hurt people will always hurt other people. Somebody who has a little scratch right here, you know, you you just touch it a little bit and they go freak. They freak out, right? You have a little cut. It's not it's not bandaged or it's not healed or there's an open wound and just the slightest little touch will set somebody off. Wow. You know, and, and um, unless we go through the process of healing, unless we go through the process of really uh, having genuine restoration, we are going to make conflict wherever we go. Um, 
I know girls who, you know, can't have this, have this, um, ladies who have this really negative view of all guys because one person, one guy treated them really badly 20 years ago. They can't get married. They can't date. They can't look at a guy with a, with a, a pure heart because 20 years ago, somebody, uh, somebody broke off with them and, and broke up with them and treated them really, really badly. Unless we're really healed in our heart, okay, we can't go on into the work of restoration and peace. There's peace fakers. We can fake peace really, really easily. Oh, didn't mean anything. Oh, it was nothing. Oh, don't worry about it. And deep down inside, it's eating you up alive. Okay? Um, and in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, it says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everybody. It says. Okay, that doesn't mean passive-aggressive, just you know, not talking to each other, but living with peace and shalom. The word shalom means wholeness, uh, blessing, that you wish the best for that person. Okay. And God says that you and I must take the initiative to restore peace between you and others. We need to take the initiative. We need to take that first step. And as Christians, we have a responsibility to take that first step in mending a relationship gone bad. And let me give you three points why this is true. Why is this true? Number one, in doing so, when we take the initiative, when we take the first step in mending a relationship, in doing so, in being a peacemaker, number one, we conform to the character of God. We conform to the character of God because peacemaking is divine work. And for uh, peace, peace means reconciliation, and God is the author of peace and reconciliation. God was the ultimate peacemaker, and throughout Scripture, He takes the initiative to seek and to save the lost. In Genesis chapter 3, when Adam had sinned and he was in the garden, you know, the very first written words from God to Adam, the very first recorded words that were spoken to Adam, wasn't, you idiot, you fool, how could you do this to me? After all that I've given you, after all I've offered you, how could you do this? That wasn't what he said. The very first written words, recorded words of God spoken to Adam was, Adam, where are you? Taking the initiative. God of the universe can't find Adam. Where is this guy? You know, he knows where he is. But he sought him out. He seeked after him. He was trying to find him. Adam, where are you? Genesis chapter 4. Next chapter. He asks Abel, where is your brother? Uh, he asked, he asked uh, Cain, where is your brother Abel? Okay. Took the initiative. And through Christ, God was pleased to reconcile. It says in Colossians chapter uh, 120. He was pleased to reconcile himself all things by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. So God takes the initiative. Okay? He, you're a Christian today. You're a believer today. You, not because you chose him, but he took the initiative to save you. He took the first step to save you. Um, and I tell my church people all the time that, you know, we don't have, we, nobody seeks after God, not even one. Ro, Romans, uh, Romans, Paul talks about in Romans that nobody seeks after, it's the most unnatural thing to seek God. Because we're so sinful. How do I love God more? I want to love God more. How do I love God more? It's not that you take all your willpower and all your strength. I got to try to worship more. I got to try to love God more. No. We need God to love God. We need God to worship God. We need God to seek God. I mean, everything about us. You know, we need God to even, and to even believe in God. And so there are times when I just have to say, God, I need you to help me to love you more because I can't do it in my own strength. God, I need you to, to seek after you. I need you to, to, to help me to worship, to have me to ha have a heart of worship. There are days when I walk into Sunday morning church and, and I'm not there. My heart is not there. And I just say, God, help me to worship you. 
with all my heart because I can't do it on my own. I can't do it on my own strength. God takes the initiative. He is an initiator. His grace is, is always taking first steps. He is always seeking after us. He is always chasing after us. He is always in pursuit of us. So when we take the initiative, we actually conform to the character of God. Okay? The second thing is that in doing so, in taking the initiative, in being peacemakers, we obey the command of Christ. We obey the command of Christ. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 says, Therefore, uh, if you offer your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you. Not that you have something against your brother, but you have, your brother has something against you. Leave it there. Leave the gift there in front of the altar. First, it says, go and be reconciled to your brother. Then and come and offer your gift. In other words, before you even come to worship, before you offer your uh, sacrifices, before you come into the presence of God, you remember somebody has something against you. Okay? Somebody, somebody has beef with you. You go and reconcile yourself first. How could we worship with an uh, unclean conscience like that? And he's saying, Jesus is saying here, before you worship, make amends. Um, <clears throat> and and uh, you might say, some, somebody might say, but they offended me first. You know, the fact is that we offended God first. We were enemies of God. We were rebellious against God. We were, we were sinful. And in Romans chapter 15, it talks about how yet, we, while we were yet sinners, that God took the first step in dying for us and sending his son to reconcile our relationship with him. That's why meekness, mercy, purity in heart, and so on and so forth have to go before this. There has to be a work in our hearts before we go in, into the work of being peacemakers. Okay, to, to really, uh, you know, I tell, I tell our guys all the time, you know, we talk about, I, I, I lead a, a group of men at our church and I tell them to, uh, you know, what does it mean to be a man? And we talk about eating meat or you know, going to the gym or, you know, watching UFC or, you know, oh yeah, let's be, a, let's be men, you know. It's cold out, not feeling pain, you know, I'm not cold, you know, only girls are cold. You know. What does it mean to be a man, you know? Scratching yourselves and whatever, whatever. And we, we talk about that, you know. And, and I propose to them, all, you know, I propose to myself too. Real manhood is having the boldness, the guts to man up to somebody. Say, are we good? Is there beef between us? Is there something that's separating us? Are we good with each other? You know? it's, it's, it's hard. It takes a lot of humility. It takes a lot of meekness. It takes a lot of mercy. It takes a lot of, uh, you know, all these other things before it. It has to play in our hearts before we take that first step to be a peacemaker. Or else it'll be fake. Or else we're doing it out of, out of obligation. And we can fake it really well. Now we good. I think, to be honest, you know, women, a little more complicated. You know, a little more, uh, there's a lot. I, I, one day when I get to heaven, I will ask God, God, like, what's this whole thing with relationships between women? I, it's so complicated. I don't, I don't understand this, you know. Guys, you know, you go out to eat meat together. Are we good? You know, is there beef? The beef is on the, on the grill, you know, leave it there, you know. Uh, just, you know, we eat meat and then we're, we're good. Go to Jimjibang together, you know, rub each other's back and we're fine, right? And, and, but, or go play basketball, we're fine. Uh, women, I don't know. Uh, one day, I don't even, I, I don't even know if God knows, but we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, I'll ask God. And it's a little more complicated. It is. It's hard. But you know, there's there's a lot of conflict with the. Yeah, I, I could tell you stories about girls in our church. And call me, Pastor Leo, this girl said, this girl looked at me the wrong way. <laughs> Maybe she was tired. This girl didn't say hi to me, and 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 uh, and all this like 
unspoken, like, uh, sixth sense kind of like um, X-Men, you know, super nunchi kind of action taking place in the spiritual realm that I have no idea what's going on. And it's all happening there. Everybody's looking at, you know, just kind of smiling. And, and, but then there's all this stuff in the second realm that's, that's like kind of crazy that I have no idea about. You know, most guys have no idea about. But all the girls, their antennas are up, and they're all like, and so it, it makes no sense to me, but, but it's, it's a lot more complicated. But I'm, I'm so glad I'm a guy, you know. Eat meat, and then you're done, right? Leave the beef on the grill and in your stomach. Anyways, yeah, it's kind of corny, but yeah, I like that. <laughs> uh, so the third thing, that in doing so, when we take the initiative, when we take the first step, when we act as peacemakers and do the work of God and reconcile in reconciliation, in doing so, the third point is that we refuse to be conformed to our old nature. Okay? We refuse to be conformed to our old nature. And when you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 11, uh, and he, God, said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I command you not to eat? Verse 12, the man said, The woman you put there here with me, she gave the fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And from the very beginning, Adam doesn't, you know, uh, Adam, the, the, the first man, uh, after sinning, doesn't, doesn't, um, doesn't put the blame on himself, doesn't take responsibility for his actions, but he puts the blame on somebody else. It's this old nature at work. He blames the woman, and then the woman blames the serpent. When we don't take ownership of our mistake, and when we don't take the initiative to bring wholeness to somebody else, we're saying that we're righteous in this matter, that we were okay, we did the right thing. Okay? We're pushing other people down in the pool. Uh, I did no wrong. Every time we wait for somebody else to take the initiative or just let things pass, hoping that they'll get better, we're being enslaved to our old nature. Okay? And so uh, Hebrews chapter 12, uh, verse 15 says, um, be careful not to let the root of bitterness cause trouble. The root of bitterness. And that's a very interesting uh, phrase. Don't let the root of bitterness cause trouble. And I remember my mom is a gardener and uh, um, in our house in Chicago, we, uh, we had a, we had a, a, a lot of grass, you know, not like here, but uh, fake grass here, but uh, a lot of grass. And my mom would tell me, go, go and pick out the weeds. And so I would go out and pick out all the weeds. And then she'd yell at me, how come you picked out all the weeds, but you didn't pick up the root? You know, because that will actually grow back very, very quickly. And so she taught me how to like dig into the root and, and, and pluck it out. Okay. Why is anger here depicted as root? Why is it depicted as root? Because I think for most of us, we can admit to most sins. Sins of worry or lust or anxiety, maybe depression. But for most of us, we can't admit anger. It's hidden. It's deep down inside. We're, we can't admit what lies beneath because we're always hiding it. We're always minimizing it. We're always, it's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm fine. Yeah. Uh, that, that person that doesn't this to me, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. And, and, uh, but there's a root that we don't really see in our hearts. Okay? Because anger and bitterness works in subterranean ways in our lives down there. And it affects us. And we don't even know it. Um, I was hurt by that person. And, but don't worry. I have thick skin. It hasn't really affected me. Oh, no. Look what it's doing to you. Look at your thoughts. Look at your, look at, you know. And we always minimize how mad we are. And we continue to be, and yet anger grows within us. It's not something that's obvious, okay? And it fills us with prejudices. It creates caricatures in our minds about people. And whenever we see that person, we just see the caricature of who they are. Okay? Um, if you go to the next slide, please. I don't, yeah. I don't know why I like this picture, but I like it. Um, I just want to see it a different way. That what do we do? 
Okay, what do we do? Um, when someone's wronged you, it creates pain. You have to admit it. You can't just say, brush it off and say, it was nothing, no big deal. But it creates pain. There's a debt that's created that needs to be paid back. Right? There's an obligation that th- this person owes you. And no matter what, your philosophy or theology or your worldview, there's a debt that you feel. Somebody has taken something from you. And there's a sense of obligation. That person owes you something. That person has wronged you. And there's a debt of emotional pain, pain that has got to be paid down and it won't go away. Okay? And so there's all sorts of ways that we want them to pay. We want to see them hurt. And we do it in, in direct and indirect ways. If you go to the next slide, please. Um, I mean, if you look at direct ways, we insult them, we attack them, we ignore them uh, purposely, we withdraw friendship, we hurt them professionally, and so on. And so there are so many direct ways. We also do it in very passive-aggressive ways, too. Okay? We slander, we gossip, uh, we're, we're, you know, Christian world, we, we say, oh, let's pray for that person. <sighs> you know, we could be really sneaky, we could invite everyone to our house except that person. Or, you know, um, you might have this self-righteous attitude about it. I'm not going to take a revenge. I'm above that person. I'm better than that person. Okay? But you want to hurt them. Okay? Why? Because it makes you feel better. You feel like you're getting paid back for what you have paid. You're paying down the debt. Okay? And the more I see them writhe and hurt and in and, and, and pain, the better it makes me feel. Because I'm getting my own revenge. And even if somebody uh, else does it to them, I get a sense of relief as well. That person, you know, went bankrupt or that person lost his job or pr- broke up with his girlfriend. Man, he deserved it. It makes me feel better. You know? And I have to get my pain debt down by seeing them pay. Okay? So you feel better when that person, you know, loses his job or whatever. Uh, it's refreshing. But ultimately, if you make that other person pay the debt, you're actually the one who's changing. You're actually the one, and, and you're actually the one who's being controlled. Okay? There's the irony in that. Years ago, I met a guy who said, um, uh, you know, a uh, guy who loved his girlfriend. Parents were against it. They made him break up with, uh, with, with uh, they made them break up. I mean, they were going to get married and everything. And so the guy said, I'm not going to get married ever again. I don't want my parents ever controlling me. And so I'm just going to spite them even more, and I'm not, I'm not going to get married. Because I don't want my parents to control me anymore. And I was listening to that. They're not controlling you. They're controlling every part of you. You're responding. You're, you're, you, you know, there's a, there's a um, the guy I knew who said, uh, I don't, I don't want to, after I graduate college, uh, after I graduate high school, when I leave home, I'm never going to go back to church. Because my parents forced me to go to church all my life. And, and I hated it. And they forced me. And I hated it. And, and uh, I'm never going to, I don't want them controlling my life anymore. They're not controlling your life. They're controlling every aspect of your life. And we never want to admit it, but when we make the other person pay the debt, we're becoming like the evil that was done to us. Okay? It's passing through us. It's hardening us. It's making us more cynical. And it's creating these prejudices, these caricatures in our minds. It's passing down. Okay? If you go to the next slide, please. Uh, please. Um, and so what I want to say is that peace will always cost Peace will always cost. It cost our God, his only son. There was violence on that cross. Peace comes through pain. And someone will ultimately have to pay. And forgiveness is taking on the cost. When we're involved in a quarrel, there will either be the pain of apologizing to that person we've injured or the pain of rebuking the person who has injured us. Um, Here's how it works. 
When Jesus canceled our debt of sin, he took the loss. He absorbed it. When we're working in that grace context in the same way, we're called to pay down the debt. Someone wrongs you, someone mistreats you, you want to gossip about that person, you want to say negative things about the person, you have every right, you have every, every, um, every, every entitlement to say something bad about that person, and you don't. And you keep it to yourself. Who's paying for that? You are. Um, Pastor John has a really nice, uh, is that a jasmine? It looks like Takamani. <laughs> oh, really? Okay, wow, okay, same lettering. I was like, wow, that's a Takamani, but then I look forward and it's like a jet. It's a nice guitar anyways, right? I say, Pastor John, could I borrow your guitar for a week? Oh, yeah, sure, don't worry about it. Take it home. And as I'm going home, uh, I, leave it on the, I leave it on the side of the road, and bam, bus comes by and runs it over, shatters into a thousand pieces. Pastor John, I'm so sorry. I borrowed your guitar. I left. I mean, I just, you know, didn't see the guitar. It's in the middle of the street. And I just put it down for a second. Either he could make me pay for that guitar. Or he could say, Pastor Leo, don't worry about it. I got it. I'll cover it. Somebody has to pay for it. That's what happens in every conflict. That's what happens in every relationship broken. That when there is something, uh, an emotional debt that needs to be paid. Somebody's got to pay it. And for a lot of us, we respond by saying, that person has to pay. That, per- I, that person owes me. And we want that person to hurt or to be in pain or somehow be emotionally, uh, be emotionally ransacked so that we could feel better. But that will change you. You'll become more cynical, more hateful, more bitter. Instead, when you have every right to do that, And you stay quiet. You pray for that person. You bless that person. You talk good about that person. You take the extra step in church or at work or at school to go and say hello, to give that person a warm-hearted hug, best of your ability, or even to make amends. You're paying for it. You pay for it. Just like we were rebellious against God, we were enemies of God, we did everything against God, he had every right to reject us, he had every right to say, you are no longer my children. And yet Jesus paid the price for us. Jesus paid that cost. And that's what it means to take up the cross every day. To take up that cross, to take up that pain. When we pay the debt down, it goes down. It goes away. But as it goes down into our hearts, you become free. You become free from, it hasn't melted you. And that's the price of peacemaking. No doubt, when they pay the emotional debt, it makes you feel better. But that makes you twisted. It corrupts you. You become melted. But if you refuse to take revenge, what's intriguing is that in spite of the fact that it hurts slowly because you're not letting this bitterness take root in your heart, the anger goes out. And sometimes it might take a long time for that to happen. That grace needs to just flow down into our heart. Grace to love. Freedom to, to accept, um, the, the, the power to forgive. We're just gonna we're gonna take some time to pray in just a moment, but I want to end with a story. I'm a, I'm kind of a history buff, and I uh, I, I go through um, you know I was I was a English major in college, and uh, any English majors here by by the way? No, okay, wow, English major, woohoo! I'm I'm sorry for you because as an English major, I'm sure you're asked, what are you gonna do with that? Like teach or you know, <laughs> or you gonna? <laughs> I was asked that like every day. What's your major? English. Um, 
What are you going to do, teach? Anyways, and so I, I come across these stories all the time, you know, and, and I love these stories. And so I, I just want to end with this story. Um, and so this is a folk story from uh, 100 years ago, hundreds of years ago. Uh, and uh, it goes like this, that um, in the early 1800s, a lot of immigrants from Scotland uh, moved to the U.S. looking for a new life. And so there was a Scottish farmer who moved and settled down uh, in an area of North Carolina, somewhere around the East Tennessee region. Uh, and uh, he had a lot of acres of land, and uh, he was very successful. And one day he passed away, and he willed his farm to two sons, Henry and David. And so uh, one day, there was some kind of dispute that came up about, uh, about a calf or stealing a calf or there was about money or something that happened. And the details were forgotten over the years. But uh, because of these hard, bitter feelings between the two, Henry and David didn't speak to each other for 10 years. They lived on the same area, the same farm, but there was a, a line that was cut between them. And uh, they didn't speak to each other or look at each other for 10 years. And David had built, uh, uh, was so bitter about this whole thing that happened, he built a ditch across the length of the property line, 10 feet wide, 8 feet deep, so that his brother could never cross over again. He said, get out of my life, live your own life, I never want to see you or your family ever again. And so as time passed, uh, one night Henry was at home um, uh, with his family, and he heard a knock on the door. And there was a shadow in the door, and uh, uh, um, uh, a stranger appeared at, uh, in the doorframe. And um, the stranger asked, could you give me something to eat and a place to stay for the night? And, the carp- uh, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm a carpenter, and I would gladly work for whatever, whatever, uh, whatever food that you give me. And so Henry needed some work done on the farm. And so he says, yeah, sure. Um, I have a barn outside. You can stay in the barn. And, and uh, in the morning, I'll give you some work to do. As I head into town, um, I'll, 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 I'll give you some work. So early the next morning, they awoke, and Henry took the stranger to the back of the farm, uh, and the carpenter saw this ditch all across the length of the property line, 10 feet wide, 8 feet deep, uh, that, his brother, that Henry's brother David had built uh, many, many years ago. And so Henry said to this stranger, who was a carpenter, he said, I want you to build a fence all across this property line so that I will never have to see my brother again. I want you to build a fence, and I'm going to go into town, take care of a few errands, and when I come back, I want to see that fence uh, completed. And so he headed back into town. Um, The day passed, and as the sun was setting, Henry came back to his property, awaiting, waiting to see, excited to see this fence, but he stood aghast at what he actually saw. Because instead of a fence that separated him and his brother's property, Uh, Along that ditch line, what he saw was a bridge. And the carpenter had actually built a bridge across that ditch. And he he was infuriated. He was angry. I asked this guy, you know, I put him in for the night. I asked him to do some work. I gave him one job. And I told him to build a fence, and he built a bridge. And he came running and furious and ready to, to, to yell at this carpenter until... He saw his brother that he hadn't seen in 10 years crossing over this bridge. And the two met for the first time in 10 years. And Henry started saying, you know, I was so bitter at you. I was so angry at you. I don't even know what we were fighting about all these years. And I wanted to shut you out of my life forever until I saw you building this bridge. And he came running over this bridge. And David himself was so... uh, 
overcome with emotion when he saw his brother for the very first time. Two embraced, they hugged, and, 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 and they cried together. And the carpenter picked up his tools, and uh, the two brothers, as the two brothers embraced and wept, no longer um, knew what the fighting was all about. They turned to the stranger and said, please stay for us for a while. We have a lot of work that you guys you could do here on this farm, and we'd love to dis, uh, for you to stay. And the stranger responded by saying, I must go, for I have other bridges to build. And in all of our lives, we, were all, we will always either be digging ditches or building bridges. And I want to challenge all of us to be those bridge builders in your lives. Because Jesus himself was a bridge builder. Let's pray together. <clears throat> the Spirit of God is working in this place and moving in your own heart. Uh, even right now, whether it be family, friends, people, maybe even the, in this room, people that you go to school with, there are those who have irked you, there are those who you build ditches. Uh, offenses against. There are those who, um, who you've offended. There are those who have problems with you. And maybe in your life there are um, people around you that have offended you. Uh, people around you that every time you see them, there's, there's this light that goes off in your mind. You start to build this caricature of that guy. Can't believe he's here. Can't believe he's saying these kind of things, it just irks you. God calls us to be initiator. Love initiates. Love takes the first step. Love pursues. Love endures. And as the Spirit of God flashes those faces across your mind's eye, I want you to pray for them. Bless them. Pray for shalom over their lives. Pray for blessing that would come upon them. Some of you have come to Korea and maybe are bitter at Korean people because of the racism or because of the way they do things. You become cynical. You start saying, oh, only Korean people. Those Koreans, those ajumas, those those." can't believe those people and and you build a caricature for a whole race in your own mind because of maybe somebody, something that somebody had done to you tonight I want us to pray for forgiveness I want us to pray for reconciliation for restoration so God here in this place as we pray together God I just pray we do not have the ability to forgive or to love or to have compassion but it flows down from you. And so we ask you, God, that you would touch our hearts tonight with your love and compassion. God, to have the strength, to have the ability to be able to love those that are unlovable, those who we have offended us. Just going to offer you um, next, uh, maybe a couple minutes just to pray, just to respond. Be a peacemaker, guys.
for you will be called sons and daughters of God. Be doing the work of Jesus wherever you go. Take the first step. Be initiators. Let's pray together.